Hey, welcome all to the Common Good Podcast, a uh, Tuesday politics edition on uh, this wonderful Thursday, December 13th. Tuesday, December 13th. It's a Tuesday <laughs> podcast brought to you on Thursday. Only in my little mind. Hey, uh, so happy Tuesday, everybody. Uh, Minneapolis, it's it's cloudy and wintry outside today. What's it, what's it like there in, in Arkansas, Rob? It is uh, cloudy, a little rainy, but not super cold. It's uh, hmm. in the... Uh, in the in the low sixties today. Oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. Dan, how about Michigan? Uh, it's cold and gray. Ah, there you go. Winter, like it, all, yeah. like it always is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like your like your heart, just <laughs> exactly. like your heart. <laughs> hey, uh, we're you know we're we're deep in the heart of the of the of the holiday season. I can't say Christmas anymore um, because of the Democrats, war on Christmas. Of course, are in church. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Christmas is out, uh, but deep in the holiday season. Uh, I received something. I'm gonna hold this up. See if you guys can see if you guys can read it. You know what that is? That's uh, to the Padgett family from the White House. From the White House. Wow! I got a Christmas card from the Bidens. <laughs> a Christmas card from the Bidens. Who knew that the godless Bidens, you know, that the godless Democrats would send you a Christmas card? And you know what it says on the inside? Well, you're about to find out. May this holiday season bring us together in faith, hope, and love. Wow. Ah, the minute you think your messaging's not working, it's gotten to the uh, it's gotten to the Christmas card crowd over there. We really should have copyrighted we that shit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in being the first love, ones to trademark, do it, yeah. yeah, trade it's our trademarks. What that is, if you don't know, we uh, travel the country with a faith, hope, and love message, uh, asking for faith voters to consider uh, faith, hope, and love as their guiding point to the common good. And who cares about that? The Bidens do. Yep. Yep. Nice little Christmas card. And I got to tell you, it's a classy card. It's a pullout. I mean, that's I thought there should a, be yeah. you know some pop-up or something on it, but that's um, they're sparing no expense. I don't know who pays for this stuff. I don't know. Who uh, you pays know, what, for what the cards? <laughs> who bought the paper? Uh, but look, at it's got little hearts in there. Real classy. Yeah. One, one, one that I might keep. I was looking for a personal salutation, but I actually think it's just from being on a... Oh, it's also... Oh, jeez. Okay, I should look more closely. It includes from, you know, Jill and and uh, Joe, got champ, and from uh, what is that Wilbur or something? Willow uh, and Commander. Willow Commander. and Commander. Didn't they have to oh. get rid champ of one? Might, yeah, Champ might have been the one that uh, bit a Secret Service guy or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, nothing diminishes a sincere holiday greeting. Than pretending it came from your dogs, <laughs> like just nothing says we don't mean any of this, because you know who signed off on this? Our puppy, our puppy signed <laughs> off on this. <laughs> That's hilarious. They have a dog named Wilbur. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's news? not their dog. Maybe it's Willow. A, maybe it's one of their grandchildren. Willow. Oh, maybe it's one of their grandchildren. They have a horse named Wilbur. Mm. I think I'm going to set it over here on the side so it shows up. Yeah, yeah. So, so, can I can I tell you something about what struck me about this though? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for four years we watched a parade of religious leaders go into the White House, lay their hands on the failed uh, presidential candidate and insurrectionist leading twice impeached man. And I was never invited to that. Dan, were you ever invited as a former worship leader? Or uh, uh, Rob, I was not. You? No, me either. Me either. No. wasn't wasn't on their list. Then a new administration comes in, whole new list of people end up on there, and uh, Christmas cards from the office of the White House go out to another 
another crowd of, of people. It's still not yeah. on that list, but yeah. Yeah, I'm not on that list either, <laughs> but wow. I, this just came yesterday. I would check your mail. I bet, yeah, I bet check mine's in the mail. Yeah, check your mail. Uh, or maybe they only, you know, only send it to executive directors and above or something. <laughs> <laughs> Some nonsense. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I don't know how I feel. I'm, I'm glad to get it. You know, I'm glad to be on their, on their mail list. Um, I do stuff at the White House and for, uh, you know, trying to elect Joe Biden and so on. But come on. I don't know. It feels a little funny. I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. 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 Like, like I certainly don't take it personally. Like, oh, what a great thing that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm important because the president thought about me. You know, it was a database the, mail merge. Yeah, that's uh, right. That the president this. did not think about you. <laughs> no. Um, no. There's actually a greater chance that Commander thought of me on this holiday season and wanted to send a Christmas greeting <laughs> than right. uh, than Joe or Jill. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's just truth. Truth be told, uh, when yeah. it comes to when it comes to all that. But you know, hey, we're we're in the we're in the political season and we're in the political work. Or we're in the holiday season. We're in the political work. So you know, yeah. did make me feel bad about not sending Christmas cards. Do you cats send Christmas cards? Are you Christmas card senders? I think we're uh, we're doing it this year. We've, oh, wow. we've gone several years really? without limited run. What, I don't know if you guys will make the list or not. But. <laughs> You're really going to crush Rob's spirit if like, he doesn't get a card from Joe and Jill or you know, from Dan. Hey, um, what do you do, Dan? Do you, uh, do you write a letter that sort of updates everybody on the, on the oh, whereabouts no, and the that's, happenings of the family? way too much work. Okay. It's a postcard. A that said, postcard. we haven't made the postcard yet, and uh, no. the clock is ticking. So, you you're going to be one of those one of those one of those people at Valentine's Day that's like, "Hey, we sorry we missed the season, but you know, uh, we love you. Happy Valentine's <laughs> yeah, we'll Day." Send Valentine's. We didn't get our didn't get our card out of time. Yeah, I got a Christmas card in the mail this week from a friend of mine who um, you don't typically. You know, Christmas cards, you get the, you know, the posed family picture, uh-huh. you know, everybody's got their sweaters on in, you know, late August, if they're organized to get this done in time. And, you know, you try to make it look, you know, holiday-ish and mm-hmm. appropriate and all of that. You know, you've, you've all seen this. I got a Christmas card yesterday from a friend of mine and the Christmas card pictures were... Vacation pictures <laughs> from when they went to Turks and Caicos earlier in the year. Oh yeah, uh-huh. and uh, their eyes are a little shirt shirtless. There you go. Picture of my friend in his swimsuit in Turks and Caicos. I'm just like, what? What? What is this? And you got to stick that to your fridge with a magnet and look at it. <laughs> You're just, you just tell, you're reminding me at the holidays, the end of the year, that you had a better year than I did. Because at least least a better vacation. Yeah, you got to to go to Turks and Caicos. Yeah. Hey, I look. I I know a lot of people don't want to talk about politics after a big political season. For sure, that's uh, makes all the sense in the world. Doesn't mean the work doesn't still go on. It doesn't mean you don't have things to to be up to and to be busy with. And today we're going to be talking with uh, with Steph Baker, Stephanie Baker. Probably shouldn't call her Steph until I've met her. Um, (laughs) Shouldn't shouldn't nickname her George Bush. This thing, Uh, Stephanie Baker, and she helps uh, women run for office. Part of a large effort of women running for office. So in a few minutes, you're going to. You're gonna have a chance to uh, to meet her and hear about all that because you know you need you need good people running for office because if not you're gonna get the JD Vances and the Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greens and the and the Goatsarts and the Trumps and the and speaking of speaking of JD Vance 
Doug, um, you know, J.D. Vance is going to be in January is going to be United States Senator, much to our chagrin after working and in, in efforting the, uh, the, uh, I, I like to use, I like to use efforting. <laughs> I like to use effort as a verb. Somehow it turned effort into a verb. Efforting, efforting, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the candidacy of, uh, of Tim Ryan for the United States Senate. Uh-huh. Uh, so JD Vance, um, you know, as a United States Senator has tremendous power. Uh, influence one of a hundred people in the country uh, with that kind of influence and power. And, uh, and he's kind of set in a legislative agenda. He's set sure. his, uh, his number one priority that he's going to be focused on when he becomes United States Senator in just a few weeks. Um, would you like to guess what his uh, number one priority is going to be? What his would the, what would a, a newly, Elected Republican from Ohio want his agenda to be prosecute like, Fauci. Okay, good guess. Nope. Uh, I would probably say um, something to do with uh, an old laptop, and probably you know uh, a hunting and fishing laptop. <laughs> nope. No. No. I don't know. See, here's the, I don't know why. I don't know why uh, Republicans are opposed to hunters. I thought they were big with the hunters. I don't yeah, know why they're digging around and you know. Yeah, that's a dumb joke. JD right. Vance's number one legislative priority is. Um, <laughs> it's a dumb joke. Is <laughs> it was a dumb joke. Um, his number one legislative priority is to get rid of pornography. To get rid of pornography. Period? Yes. Oh. <laughs> wow. Well, I don't know. Is that? <laughs> The war on, can I can I read to you from uh, Yahoo News? <laughs> the war on porn. The sure. war on porn. <laughs> the war on yeah. porn could get even worse in 2023 thanks to new Ohio Senator JD Vance who said he wants to ban pornography nationwide. Vance's proclamations come at a time when fringe extremists wow. including Yi, the rapper formerly known as Kanye West, <laughs> are pu- pushing for porn prohibition. Their demands may lack legal grounding, but they pose serious threats. He goes on to say, this is a quote from J.D. Vance, I think the combination of porn and abortion have basically created a really lonely, isolated generation that isn't getting married. They're not having families, and they're actually not even sure how to interact with each other. Well, I think that's so. I think that's true. He's he's case in point. I mean, there's a man who was just socially stunted and doesn't actually know how to how to interact, and is quite desperately lonely enough that he had to run for Senate. So yeah, I mean, it's testimonial to you know he's a testimony to his own argument. Yeah. So he's saying that abortion keeps people from getting married. In other words, if we didn't have abortion, then more people would get married because there's a baby on the way. That yeah. is I mean, that's the argument you're, you're, there. Yeah, you're parsing and looking for logic here, uh, where it might not it might not exist. No, well, <laughs> he wasn't. He didn't open a dictionary and just pull out words like he was trying to make a point. His, yeah. You think his point is shotgun marriages or was made America great? <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> you know what we need to get back to the good old days. The good old days when I when, when pa, dad said yeah. you're going to marry the woman. <laughs> You think you're getting this milk for free? (laughs) Okay, uh, just just read that again because every time you say porn, I get uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, I think the combination of porn 
okay. and abortion. As <laughs> like we need to we need to think about that cocktail. It's a combo a deal. Bit. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, <laughs> abortion porn. Think about, when I think about the combination, <laughs> when I think about the combination of porn and abortion, uh, they've basically created a really lonely, isolated generation that isn't getting married. They're not having getting families. married. There, there it is. They're they're not getting married and having families. Yeah, and they're actually not even sure how to interact with each other. So why would someone get married according to J.D. Vance? Yeah. Well, so you can have sex and have your sexual pleasures fulfilled as opposed, and not usurp yes. that with pornography. And because you have to, because you didn't have access to terminate uh, a, a pregnancy in its early, its early because, days. Because, That's because, incredible. Wait, 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 wait. because you had sex. So is the pornography <laughs> keeping people from having <sighs> sex? Or not keeping people from having sex. Yeah, is pornography making more sex and therefore more babies that then... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, J.D. Just, Vance. I mean, honest to goodness, these people. Uh, now, are you yeah. sure that's a, that's a real story and that's not from like The Onion or from The Lark News or something that it was... <laughs> It was written by a written by a comedy writer that said, "Let's let's put together <laughs> some proposals." This is from the Daily Beast in Yahoo News. Wow, uh, article written by Sherry Deville. Wow, so. that's amazing. <laughs> oh. so, but listen, and I just i i want to personally applaud the uh, the senator elect from Ohio for really like digging in and tackling the big issues that we face as a country. <laughs> uh, well, okay. Look, he's uh, he's diagnosed a problem. People are lonely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, lonely. I think he's yeah. misdiagnosed the cause of that. Yep. Yes. Listen now. Could we? It, it it is a problem that there's a uh, generation of isolated uh, people we, that, yeah. that don't have social skills, and one of them was our president. So it's not just yeah. kids. It's Listen, you know it goes I all the way back to the 71, 73 year olds. I don't want to go all like old school conservative on you here, but is it the job of the United States federal government to address loneliness? <laughs> <laughs> Only the lonely. Like, yeah, hey, that's a good that's, that, that's a good point. Is that the job of the federal government? <laughs> you know who's gonna I help mean, you feel less lonely? You're a federal representative. <laughs> slide right in and snuggle right up. I'm here from You'll the government. You'll feel lonely no I'm more. from the government and I'm here to help. <laughs> I'm from the government and I'm here to help you feel less lonely. <laughs> a government-appointed special friend. <laughs> All right. So so what, what, let's, let's talk about how this is smart. We at least have the capacity to find the ridiculousness in it, laugh at it, slough it off. What's an opponent to J.D. Vance going to say? No, 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 no. Hey, hey, I'm for pornography, right? That's what he wants. He wants, you know, uh, countervailing forces in the Republican Party and, of course, Democrats and and uh, all the other independents that I don't even know what they're part of anymore. The You know, the, the, the Angus Kings, the Bernie Sanders, the Gearson Cinemas. They want all those people to have to come out and say to him, uh, we're opposite of everything that you think is important, so we want to be pro-porn. Uh, he's going to then try to turn the Democratic Party into the 
uh, pro-pornography party. And reinforce yeah, the groomer I know, I know a lot of Republicans that are really into pornography. So I think he's, he's going <laughs> to run into a little, <laughs> little backroom work there that, uh, that, you know, yeah. I watched the, uh, I, I watched this. So help me God. A documentary about Jerry Falwell Jr. I, I know what these folks are into. My goodness. I mean what a what a fantastic documentary. Wait, is yeah. that documentary called So Help Me God? Mm-hmm. And the Mike Pence book is called So Help Me God? Or am oh, I is that no, true? It What's might not it? be called So Help Me God. In God we trust, in God we in the Trinity. Did you talk about the Trinity in there? Because that'd sort of be the theme of that of that documentary. It'd be great if they were both called the same thing, but <laughs> um, yeah, well, Rob, Rob could Rob could look it up. Uh, that Trinity joke is a good one. That Trinity joke is good. Gonna... That was not a dumb joke. Uh, well, thank you for your uh, thank you for your quick, quick judgment. Totally uh, redeemed yourself. If, if, uh, well, thank you everybody for listening to the podcast. Today. God forbid. Um, God forbid. God, God forbid. forbid. Not in God we trust. Um, sort of the opposite. Uh, yeah. But that thing I'll tell you is worth watching. Uh, but yeah. there's, you know, there's all, look, I mean, truthfully, when JD Vance says, you know, what I'm going to go after is pornography. What was the big news story around, uh, Donald Trump paying money to a person via Michael Cohen that got Michael Cohen, uh, convicted of a federal crime? He was paying a pornography star who he had sex with. Donald Trump is a real life pornography sex doer. Like it's he's just been on the incredible. Cover. He's been on the cover of Playboy. Like, oh. you know, you know, <laughs> that's neat. Like, isn't it? I don't know. Do they that, put, I, I okay. I is know. that another one where he photoshopped know. himself onto it? Like the be. Time Magazine yeah. person uh, of the year. Man, I, I feel like Playboy um, used to be something that wouldn't put Donald Trump on the cover, but maybe I have maybe I have long not just, seen. No, no, no. Maybe what Playboy. I'm picturing in my head, and this is terrifying. Oh, I can is, only imagine yeah, what you're picturing. Avoid is, picturing is Donald Trump next to Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife, all with their thumbs up, and on the wall behind him are is like oh, are, mm-hmm. is like in, a the, frame. in the documentary, yeah. No, 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 no. This is like I don't know. This is a I don't know picture from mm-hmm. the from the campaign in 2016. Listen, what JD Vin, the, like this is? I mean, I, part of me thinks these people don't actually believe this stuff. Um, that's what I I've thought about so much. And then the Mark Meadows texts come out, and I think, oh, holy hell, these people might actually believe all this stuff. Yeah. So what um, are the Mark Meadows texts? Is this a recent so, thing? Yeah, so Mark Meadows um, had a very brief period of time where he was cooperating with the January 6th commission. And in that brief period of time, he turned over text messages and records that were um, – that. And now he hasn't turned over everything and he is now fighting um, the release of them and the use of them in, in court because he – Somebody got to him, <laughs> apparently, and uh, and flipped him back, and uh, and so those you know there, there's journalists now that have gotten a hold of these uh, these texts, and mm-hmm. and basically uh, the release yesterday um, was that there was something like 34 members of Congress, 34 Republican members of Congress texted Mark Meadows offering advice, offering support, offering ideas about how to overturn the election. And, and uh, you know, parroting the 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 big lie and Oh yeah. 
full on. I mean, Mark. So Mark Meadows is the was the chief of staff to to Trump. So if you're not following all the back characters and all this, so what makes that important is that the chief of staff of the president of the United States, while he was the chief of staff and while the the porn star lover was the president of the United States, was getting these text messages from Congress people calling for martial law calling for all kinds of nonsense to go on, fake electors, the whole thing. So they have, they have text records of, of this. And, and, and sending conspiracy theories, like wackadoodle conspiracy theories about some uh, Italian businessman uploading to satellites data that then would be uh, beamed into the yeah. internet-connected uh, of uh, polling stations to change votes, only the Donald Trump line of the vote. Like, it's just crazy business. <laughs> like up there with the just, space lasers from, yes. uh, what's her yeah. name? So, yeah. you know, I... And so so what Rob's getting at is these are I private look, messages. This isn't like people just standing in front of a camera. This is a sitting congressperson sending a message to the chief of staff of the president of the United States in a personal text saying, I think you should do this. I think you should pay attention to this. Show this to the president. And it shows you that these people aren't just panning for the cameras when they say this right. stuff. Right. They mean it. Like they're they're Yikes. they're sending it privately. They don't think anyone's ever going to see it. This is not for, uh, you know, it's yeah. not because the it's, voters need us to talk about this, which is what yeah, we often say. Like these people are just playing to the voters because mm -hmm. the voters have no, no. They're the ones that are hardwired in, yes. and they're convincing their voters to be hardwired in. That's the scary thing. That's the realization that I'm having is that I think I've always assumed that like these people know better and they're just playing the part. And, yeah, yeah. and, and you look at something like this with JD Vance and you think, oh, he's just, he's just pandering to religious conservatives. You know, he, he, he's after my mom's vote. You know, he wants the, the, unending loyalty and support of people like my mom who when I was in high school um, led a protest at a local uh, pharmacy I think it might have been a CVS because they had playboys like available behind the counter that yeah. you had to add like you know you could buy the yeah. playboy at the CVS you know but it was behind the counter and my mom led a protest of that CVS mm -hmm. to get those Playboys removed from even from behind the counter. So, yeah. like, my mom who here's would th who would have thought twenty five years ago she would vote for the president of the United States, a man who had spent time with uh, a actual porn star. Yeah, that's just yeah. what your, your mom's come a long way, baby. I mean, I'll uh, tell you, just well, very Virginia you know, Slims ever. Um, when she finds out that JD Vance is, you know, leading the 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 cause against pornography he's immediately going to become her favorite senator. And, you know, so like there's a whole generation of, of people like, you know, I think there's a whole swath of people that, so I think, okay, that he's just pandering mm -hmm. to these folks. Yeah. And then I, and then you read the Mark Meadows text and you're like, oh, maybe these people aren't pandering. Mm. Maybe, maybe they're true believers. Maybe they actually, they actually, they actually believe this stuff. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. even more terrifying than the thought that they're just pandering. Yeah, look, do you think Marjorie Taylor Greene was joking when she said, and she's the congresswoman from Georgia who has been very insurrectionist supporting, when she said in front of that crowd uh, of young Republicans uh, a day or so ago that had Steve Bannon and I organized the January 6th events, we would have won and we would have been armed. Do you think 
she was just joking. Um, uh, no, I think I think she was being playful with a thing she really believes. <laughs> I think she really believes yeah. that had she not been, uh, you know, uh, uh, disinvited. I mean, she's she's so toxic. Even the people planning the January sixth uh, activities and uh, you know pre insurrectionist parties didn't want to include her. So she's really. Uh, She's really a piece of work. All these people, I think, are uh, are, are really something. Hey, and you know, we, we don't want to only talk about Trump news because there's other really good news. But we'll talk about Trump in a second. But did you see that Biden's approval ratings are getting up near 50%? Yep. Yep. It, I'll tell you, if anything should dissuade you from caring for one minute about polling approval ratings, I think it should be that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> What's changed? Oh, his people won. People like to support a winner. Why yes. were his approval ratings so low? Because people were banging the life out of the guy, yep. right? And they were just talking about what a failure he is, and I wasn't getting this done. So people are like, oh, I don't know what all I hear is and nothing's going right, and he's probably not doing a good job. And then the people that are on his side are elected into office, and people are like, hey, that guy's doing a heck of a job. Way to go, Joe. Yep. So yeah. this kind of like approval rating thing, but now he's pushing 50%. Uh, it's it's really uh, it's a turn of fortune in in American politics that is is so rapid. It's it's kind of shocking actually how how fickle the American uh, the, the American population the American movement is. Yeah, especially when you think about how like you fully expect that people's opinions and their approaches are like hardwired in, right? Like, yeah. you know, we we think of the electorate as being. You know, everybody kind of has their mind made up. There was very little to the point of nothing mm-hmm. besides resigning that Donald Trump could have done that would have, <laughs> like, allowed, that would have, you know, um, um, said, uh, you know, that would have led me to say, you know, hey, I I approve of the job this guy is doing. Hey, Marshall. Yeah, right. Just wouldn't, just wouldn't have happened. Um, yeah, sorry, and and you know there are people the you know the the let's go Brandon bumper sticker people, um, yeah. you know are never going to approve the okay. job that that Joe Biden is doing no matter what gas prices are. But yep. there are enough people. <laughs> gas prices. <laughs> there are there are enough people out there that they can change their minds. They are. Yeah. They well, they are persuadable like that is that's kind of the shocking thing to me that you know yep that things could move at all or at in all any demonstrable yep. way well and normally what happens and i think that's the case on these uh, approval ratings it moves in two places there are some three four five percent of people that are really not partisan and kind of don't care and they're willing to sort of move around the, the pile most of the increase, though, with a president, when they increase or decrease in their in their yeah. uh, approval rating, it comes from their, their own party. Yes, yeah, from their base. And so, what I think what has happened is that now people who voted for Joe Biden or were likely to vote for Joe Biden or did vote for Joe Biden are now saying, "Okay, I think he's doing a good job," because it turns out that things weren't quite as difficult as we as we thought that they were going to be. Um, yeah. So, so I think that's what's going on, and that, so that's the other thing that happens in approval ratings. Because truthfully, we've reached a point now, which maybe we'll get back to a Gulf War or doing a Iraq War or a, or a September 11th kind of moment in the country when mm-hmm. it won't matter what political party people are around; they're going to come together. 
But since then, since or other than those times, we don't have a lot of examples of any president getting much above 50% approval rating. Like there's just half the country that says, I don't think the person's doing <laughs> is doing a good job, no matter what's going on, no matter what they're doing. And but I so mean, the Joe new Biden, bar is somewhere in the 50% yeah. range. And, you know, and you can listen, get there, you, I, you know, folks that listen to this podcast, longtime listeners know that I was concerned that in the first year of his presidency, that Joe Biden was going to get tagged with um, a reputation of someone who couldn't get stuff done. That, you know, all the best intentions, but execution was going to be the problem. And I feared that, you know, the the lasting image of his presidency was going to be, um, you know, the, the mm-hmm. withdrawal from Afghanistan. And that, that what looked like on the outside yeah. to be a debacle and chaos, yeah. I thought that was going to be the script that would play over and over and over again on every issue. As it turns out, in his first two years as president, Joe Biden has turned out to be a tremendously effective president who has gotten so very much done, including, you know, this Mm -hmm. week, the the return of Brittany Griner um, from Russia, the Mm -hmm. uh, the WNBA player who had been arrested uh, in Russia and you know the the return of her. You've got the you know the victory in in Georgia, where Joe Biden becomes the first sitting president to pick up seats in the United States Senate in forever. Uh, you know it's just it's just remarkable the job that he's yeah. done. Um, yeah. And I you know I and and you know I I still have significant policy disagreements with him on a number of things. I I you know there's just a whole host of things that I wish he would do more or, you know, his approach would be a little bit different. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of, uh, you know, what's, what's happened with the railroad union and, and all of that. And yet here's a guy who, uh, you know, it, it, I don't know, Doug, are we going to get tired of winning? I, I think that's what I'm saying. I think we're going to, I think, I think we're going to get tired of winning. Well, you know, as, we, as we as we joked over text on uh, on election night, um, which boy, I sure hope no news agency ever gets a hold of that that text. Oh, but uh, as as we joked, no one has probably done more to support the cause of Democrats being in office in you know in the in the in the twenty twenties. 28, you know, the, the late, the late aughts and the early or the late teens in the early 2020s. No one's done more than Donald Trump. I mean, so Joe Biden's a great second, but nobody has helped <laughs> Democrats get elected quite like, you know, the, the porn star lover. And there's just I, no, you know, uh, there's no comparison. The guy yeah. is, uh, the guy is a turnout machine. Yeah. He helps, he just, he just gets the job done, does that Donald Trump, but right behind him, right on his heels. It really could be this uh, this Joe Biden perspective that that truly is um, it's 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 a little uh, it's a little stunning and, and actually like policy wise and again does anybody really truly care about policy I think policy is is a great rationale for why people tell themselves that their political views are the correct ones um, but it just most people are not parsing policy all that closely but on the policy front. The big bills that were passed that people are thrilled about from infrastructure bills to that chips bill to the ones that have to do with the environment to the now the one other big one I can't even remember. Uh, there were like, like three of them. Act? Yeah, well, the they build broke up. Build, 
<laughs> they build back the Build Back Better Act. They, they broke they broke up the Build Back Better Act by oh, right. um, turning it into all these little pieces. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the, Biden's uh, he's just done a heck of a job, a heck of a yeah. job there, there, Joey. But you know who's really having a tough time, and it, it really is Trump. I mean, the guy is in yeah. serious trouble. The, the the walls are closing, and maybe you guys talked about this last week, but you know, his, yeah. that that thing about his we business did. being found guilty of tax evasion. Oh, that's that that means that. People uh, can say, look, Trump's business was, you know, criminally involved in tax fraud. So you can say, well, that wasn't him. The company has his name on it. This is a guy whose whole business reputation is all about him making all the decisions. And, yeah. you know, it all That's flows right. through him. That's what his whole thing is. So you can't deal. have it both ways. Yeah. Yep. Well, listen, Doug, I, I mean, we could talk about Donald Trump all day. You know, he's a has-been candidate. I would much rather Ooh. talk about um, like it. I would much rather talk about the future. And uh, and our guest today is uh, is Stephanie Baker. Stephanie works as the uh, executive director of Emerge Arkansas. Uh, Emerge is a uh, a national organization that recruits and trains and supports women who are running for office um, up and down the ballot. And uh, and Stephanie does that here in Arkansas. And so, um, you know, Stephanie, thanks for being with us today. We're excited to talk about uh, the work that you're doing and, uh, and, you know, how we can get more really amazing candidates on the ballot as opposed to, you know, bozos like Donald Trump. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Stephanie, you make us. You work for a group that makes a special effort to recruit women to run for office. Yeah. Very basic question here, um, and I'm and I'm really interested in your in your long answer on it. Why is that necessary? Why is it well, necessary I mean, to put the a short answer? The short answer is we live in a representative democracy that's not exactly representative of the people that it's serving. So. I think parity is important um, yeah. when we have, you know, women make up more than 50% of the population, but we're less than a quarter of most legislatures. Um, I think we made some gains in 2022. I think I saw a 31% nationally, but still here in Arkansas, we're hovering around a quarter, less than a quarter. Um, okay. And, you know, if we're going to make decisions for all the folks, we should have all the folks having a seat at the table. Yeah. Yep. What, what, how come women don't run as easily or as frequently? Or what, why do there need to be important special um, focus on helping women get to the point that they're going to run? What's, what's in our political system that has made that n- not an attractive choice for a lot of, for a lot of women? Well, I mean, honestly, I'm seeing a lot more women interested in running lately, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to when I started doing this type of work as a volunteer uh, yeah. years and years ago. Back then, it seemed to be a harder sell. Like you would say, like, "Hey, you should think about running for office," and most people would be like, "Oh, no." And I think the data back then was around. Uh, you had to ask a woman on average about seven times before they would mm-hmm. consider running for office. I'm not really seeing that so much now. I'm seeing a lot of women more willing to run, right more willing to put themselves out there, which is great. But the barriers for women are still a little bit greater. Um, we don't see ourselves in leadership as often. So it is a little harder to get folks to do that buy-in. I hear a lot of times like women are unelectable. Well, 
we are electable if you vote for us. We have to change that narrative for sure. Um, but there are also <laughs> other barriers. And that is that um, because women haven't traditionally seen themselves represented in these roles mm-hmm. at greater numbers, um, they often question whether they are qualified. And that's where we yeah. come in. We yeah. are helping these women who want to run by giving them a literal toolbox we teach them candidate training and we go through from the beginning of a campaign to the end, all of the ins and outs, just so when they're ready to announce their campaign, they know what they're doing. They feel prepared. They feel qualified. They have the best chance at running their best possible campaign. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, that I say often is that, you know, a lot of people that run for office are experts in some area of life. You know, whether it's education or medicine or, you know, wh- whatever it might be, they're experts in some area of life. Uh, that doesn't mean that they're experts when it comes to politics. And our political system running for office can be complex, it can be confusing, it can be intimidating, it can be completely overwhelming. I know that the first time I ran for office, I say the first time, the time that I ran for office, I felt like I was just making it up as I went along and, you know, putting the, putting the train together as I was going down the tracks. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's just so much value in being able to say, here's what to expect. Here's what it's going to be like. Can you talk a little bit about what that training looks like and, and what, what, you know, people that are involved in, in emerges training, like what they, what they, you know, kind of get out of it and, 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 and how, how they, they experience that. Sure. So we offer two types of training. Um, right now I'm recruiting for our signature training program, uh, which is our more intense long form program. It's about 70 hours of curriculum. Um, and we spread it out over the course of here. I'm doing it in four months. Some states do it a little differently. We have 27 states. I should have said that at the beginning, I guess. I'm one of 27 states. Um, so that one, you know, people have time to go through the curriculum. They have time for answering questions and, uh, digging a little bit deeper. Um, what I do is we have Emerge has a national curriculum, uh, that we have, you know, spent the last 20 years refining, um, from our, you know, many, many different people's campaigns perspectives. But I also bring in expert consultants and trainers in each field to deliver that training. So like we give them the base curriculum and then they kind Mm. of like put their own spin on it and like from their own personal experience. So that way it stays uh, up to date. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, then when the, the, my participants are doing that training, they have access to that consultant in that field where they can ask real time questions and get their answers. Um, and I think that's nice to have a variety of perspective, not just one person delivering the information, which first of all is boring, but also myopic. I want them to have access, you know, to lots of folks. Um, so that's, that's how the training works for the signature training program. Right now we're recruiting for that class. I try to keep that class around 20 people, maybe 25 if we have 25 stellar candidates, um, that apply for the training, but I want to keep it small enough that each woman uh, gets the attention that they deserve and can get the most out of it as possible. And then in election years, we realized the need for a boot camp. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that one is intended to catch people who are uh, actually running that cycle in that election cycle. Um, so it's candidates mm-hmm. only, like current filed candidates only uh, for that one. Um, and it is, it's all of the same curriculum, but 
fast and furious, super condensed yep. uh, because you're in a campaign. So the purpose of yep. that one is to kind of refine your campaign plan and um, supercharge what you're doing already. Um, yep. So that one is a little more responsive instead of planning. Yeah. Stephanie, Steph- if, if, if there's somebody out there who's thinking about like, yeah, maybe I should run for office, you know, whether it's school board or city council or Congress or state legislature, like whatever it might be. Somebody's just, this idea is kind of, they, they can't shake it. What sure. would be like, what would be like the one or two like really fundamental pieces of advice that you would give someone who's thinking about running for office? Um, I think the most important thing is preparation to get yourself there mentally. Um, I do offer a workshop series called the Step Forward Workshop. It's about an hour-long participatory workshop. I do it virtually. Um, And that's for folks who are exactly in that position, who are like, I think I want to run for office, but I'm not totally sure, and I need to make that decision. And I go over in that workshop how to prepare yourself as a human, (laughs) how to prepare your network, and then how to prepare yourself as a future candidate. Um, And it's just it just gets you thinking about all the things you need Mm -hmm. to think about when you're going to be a candidate. Um, And at the end of that workshop, the goal is, of course, to move folks from I'm thinking about running to, yeah, I think this is a thing I can do. Or sometimes, no, this isn't a thing I can do. And that's valid choice too. So that brings me to my second point that I really want to emphasize, like, most people are qualified to run for office. You just need the tools. Everybody can learn, right? Um, But you have to be prepared to work hard. It is really Mm. hard work. It's, um, I mean, Rob, you know, (laughs) it's taxing. It is. It takes a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Um, And a lot of times you do that, you pour your whole heart and soul into this. And here in Arkansas, you don't always win. (laughs) Um, And so you have to, to me, I want folks to understand what they're getting into before they get into it, understand that it is going to take, you can do it, but it's going to take a lot of dedication and hard work and time. Um, And then I also, when I talk to women about running, because we are running under kind of extreme circumstances sometimes here in Arkansas, which is what we're working to change, of course, um, I like for women to think about what else makes it worth it to run. If you mm-hmm. like, obviously you want to win. That's, that's yep. the goal. We want to win. We yep. want to affect policy change. We want to do better in our communities, but short of winning, what else can you accomplish in your campaign? Yes. Yep. And I think that's an important thing to think about. So when you get to that end, that is a goal you do have control over. Yep. When a lot of people run for office, they're, or think about politics even. They think about it in terms of uh, political parties or maybe political perspectives, conservatives or progressives or moderates or Democrats or independents or uh, Republicans. Does your group work with one side of that or the other? Do you work with all we do. people? Yeah, how do you, we, how, we are how, a how do you partisan do? organization. Uh, so our group only trains uh, Democratic women. We are a partisan organization. That does not mean you have to run as a Democrat. You just have to share those values um, with us, with the organization. We have a code of conduct and the core values that we share. Um, and that's what we talk about when we do our interview process for our selection uh, committee to review applications and do the interviews. We talk about values. Um, and so folks who go through our training may run as a Democrat for U.S. Senate, or they may run nonpartisan city council, school board, yeah whatever the, the choice may be, but we do have um, core values that we share and we are a partisan organization. Is there a similar group of uh, doing this only for people running as Republicans? I don't do know the know? answer to that. Not that I know of. Yeah. Not that I've yeah. seen for Republican women. There are some nonpartisan campaign campaign schools, uh-huh. um, of course. Yeah. 
Um, but no, I'm not, I don't think there is a specific focus for Republican only women, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Republican women for, for a minute, Stephanie, because I mean, you know, I, I think a lot of us think, oh, well, we definitely need more women to run. We definitely, and, and that's going to bring a more, that's going to bring a more pro- progressive uh, perspective. You know, women tend to, to vote Democrat. Like this is like, this is a good thing. And then you look at the, you look at our state where we just <laughs> elected a, a governor yeah. and a Lieutenant governor, both of whom are women, uh, both of whom are really right wing, you know, Trumpy kind of women. And um, you, you look nationally at, at Republican leadership and you've got people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and, you know, we, we think of the yeah. conservative side of things as being sexist and holding women down, holding women back. And yet at the same time, there's, I mean, example after example after example mm-hmm. of women leading in on that side. How do you think about that? How do you, like, I don't know, how do you, what, how do you reconcile that? What do you, like, what's your perspective on all that? Well, I mean, my personal perspective is that there are people of all different types in the world. So mm-hmm. obviously there are going to be women who hold mm-hmm. Republican values. Um, I do think that speaking personally, not as a representative of Emerge, because I don't think we have an official opinion on Republican women. Um, But I I do think that the Republican side tends to love supporting women who uphold the patriarchy. Um, When they find that example, they're going to run with it and they're going to embrace it because they love it. Um, And I do think that's what happens here in Arkansas with our governor and our lieutenant governor. Those are women who don't support policies that support women. Um, and I think the Republican Party loves them because they can claim, hey, we're supporting women, but they're not mm-hmm. actually voting to support women and families, the policies that they are um, proposing. Uh, so that is a reason why we are a partisan organization and why our organization decided to only train Democratic women. That's why we're not a nonprofit. That's why we're a 527, because we very much want to train women who will also work to propose policies that will help women and families. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, that's my short opinion on it is that, yeah. uh, you're going to find people of all types and that, that means that yeah. there will be women who are Republicans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you, th- you know, we saw nationally that the Dobbs decision had, a a real impact on voter registration, particularly young women registering to vote and then voter turnout, um, women turned out to vote in in really high numbers uh, across the country and it made a difference in so many uh of the uh the the really close elections that we had during the midterms do are you seeing the same kind of uptick or wave of uh of women being involved when it comes to you know we saw it with voter registration we saw it with voter turnout are are you seeing it with new candidates for for office as as women are thinking about running in in the upcoming elections like do you do you think the Dobbs decisions having an impact on that yeah absolutely I do and you know I tuned in right as you guys were talking about nobody's done more for the Democratic Party than <laughs> he who I'm not going to name right now um, but I think that's true for women too because honestly yeah. Yeah. when when he won in 2016 a lot of women were like wow we did not expect that to happen that's not what we yeah, were anticipating um, and it did you know I, I hate that it mm-hmm. took that to galvanize some folks but it did it was like a wake-up call mm-hmm. and I think Dobbs was kind of another one of those tipping points because we had been hearing murmurings of it but I don't know if any of us really believed it except for you know I have friends who are working within reproductive justice and those folks were sounding the alarm long before 
before yeah. this happened. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And I wish we had listened to them, but even yeah. I was like, surely, surely the Supreme Court's not going to do this to us. Um, right. And when they did, I think women realized, well, gosh, we're going to have to take power into our own hands if we want to, you know, maintain bodily autonomy. Um, so yes, I'm definitely seeing that as um, a galvanizing call for women who want to run and want to have their voices heard and say, hey, you can't do this. This is not okay. Mm-hmm. So you, you had described this, you know, you, hey, you say to somebody like, hey, you ever think about running for office? And oftentimes people are like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. And like, you know, when you just kind of give them the little like, uh, hey, here's why this is a good idea. Um, what's What's in that? Like what's in that pitch that you give them? Yeah. So first of all, again, representative democracy is important. If you're a part of the society, you should have a voice. You should have a seat at the table, everybody. And specifically what I'm talking about training women, I also have a specific focus on uh, what we call at Emerge, the new American majority of women. And that's black, brown, indigenous, LGBTQ, unmarried young women. We want all of the voices at the table. So we're Mm -hmm. trying to focus on, you know, finding, identifying the power that's been ignored. That's what I'm trying to do is bring those mm-hmm. folks, the folks who are already stepping up in their community in other ways and care about their community. Mm-hmm. They're passionate about helping folks. Those are the folks I'm trying to find to run for office. So that's when you find those people and you help them connect the dots to what they're doing and how they can amplify that politically, that's the sell. That's the easy mm-hmm. part because you're like, they're already invested in their community. They already want to make it better. Um, the problem is getting over that hurdle mentally of like, saying, hi, I'm Stephanie and I'm running for school board. Like that's a hard thing to say for folks. That's a hard thing to put Mm -hmm. your name on a ballot. Um, And so by giving them these tools, I'm helping. There's also a lot of data around the effectiveness of women in politics. Um, And this is just data, fellas. I love y'all. Y'all are great. But uh, when women are elected, they do tend to work more collaboratively, work across the aisle with their partners. Um, They tend to bring home more dollars for their constituents at home. They tend to pass more bills. They tend to propose more bills. That's data. You can look that up. Women tend to be more active and more effective when they're elected. Yeah, Yeah. we we are totally on board with the idea of the United States Congress being 100% (laughs) people like Katie Porter, right? Like that, like we're totally on board with that. In a sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephanie, what makes a good candidate? Like what? What makes it like? What makes and maybe maybe the more fun question is what makes a bad candidate? Um, you know, what's <laughs> the like, no, no no like what's no? I, that's the question I want to ask. What's the thing when you meet someone who says, "Hey, I'm going to run for office," and they make you go, "I don't know about that." Like what? What's the thing that would give you pause about someone wanting to run? So if we're framing it from what makes a bad candidate, I think the number one thing that gives me pause is when I question the motivations. Hmm. The motivation has to be pure and it has to be motivated by wanting to help the folks in their community. That I think is the number one thing. When it's for self-promotion or power or... um, revenge. I've even heard some people want to run mm-hmm. because like there's yeah. one law that, you know, they want to, I don't know. Um, I don't think that's good enough. I think it has to yeah. be, you, there has to be a little bit of an altruistic uh, motivation there. Mm-hmm. And now, you, and you mean that because you think it doesn't make them a good candidate or yeah. you feel like you wouldn't be a good representative because there's always this two sides to it, which you know so well, yeah. right? There's like right. getting the job, candidate mm-hmm. running for office and then being in the job. Yeah. And both actually. I think that, you know, voters want authenticity. They want to see that you really care about them. They want you to run as you are. Um, and if you're 
if you're not running as yourself, if you're not running for the right reasons, I think voters can sense that pretty quickly. Hmm. Um, so I don't think it makes a good candidate if you are running for the wrong reasons. Um, yeah. And I think that you'll be less motivated to do a good job if you do get elected. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I, I My faith in that has shaken in the last uh, six or seven years when I've watched a series of people, first and foremost, whose primary pitch is we're going to own the libs or yeah. it's all about revenge or it's all about extending personal brand. And that has become a success narrative on yeah. uh, the Republican side. Um, I worried that maybe maybe the veil's been pulled back and that's secretly what it's really always, always been about. So I'm glad to hear that you're, um, that, that that's not true. <laughs> so thanks. Well, I mean, uh, I think, I think it, I think it was true in 2016 for sure. I think that people voted for that brand. They voted for like, yeah. in their mind, they were like sticking it to the man, you know, like he didn't represent like party, party politics as usual. Yeah. Um, and for some people that was exciting. I do think, you know, you guys opened this podcast by talking about how he's losing his grip and kind of everything he touches does not turn to gold anymore. It's yeah, the opposite right. of that. Yeah, um, and did, so yeah. I think, I think people are realizing that that's probably not the way to go. Um, and I also think like we as, uh, an electorate had a little more faith in him, um, uh, that mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. he was talking that way as campaigning. And then again, when he did the job, like we thought he was going to behave differently and yeah. he didn't. Um, yeah. And I, I think Got that's worse. been something that was eye-opening as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things we've realized in all of our work with, with candidates is that Contrary to what a lot of people think about politicians, because politician has a pretty negative connotation in our society, right? Like people even use it as a as a disparaging term, like don't be so political, you're such a politician. People think that politicians are into it for themselves, that they're greedy, that they're sold out, that somebody gave their campaign a bunch of money, so now they just have to do what they say, all that narrative, right? It's all over the place. On every political side, people just talk, throw shade on, you know, politicians. Our experience has been most of the people that we've met, which have been hundreds of them, elected officials and people running for office, they're tremendous people really wanting really good things and don't have almost nothing to do with that kind of view of politician. Do you see that same thing? And if so, why do you think we have this view of politicians that they're all the, you know, the the Beloviches or Beloyevich, you know, the guy, you know, you can sort of name the criminals, right? Uh, Trump right. and Beloyevich and these kind of people. Um, well, I do think that that's a narrative that we, we have in America. And I don't think it's completely, you know, there is some factual nature to that. Um, I think that's why organizations like mine exist, because we are trying to change that narrative. We're trying to change who gets to be a politician, what you oh. think of when you think of a politician, um, because we don't want people to think of that. We want people to be invested in their own democracy. We want people yeah. to realize that their vote matters and they, we want them to vote for people who matter and people who know that they matter. So that's part of why Emerge is out here in the community. I mean, I'm, I'm out here recruiting 365 days a year, whether it's an election year or not. I'm constantly talking to women about running for office um, because I want to change that narrative. I want mm-hmm. regular folks to run for office, regular folks who care about their community and just want to make this world better for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that the more we do that, the more we introduce candidates who are regular people who really care about their community, the more we will change that narrative. But it's a little bit of an uphill battle. Once you have that stereotype, it's a little hard to overcome. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll say, like, 
I think, I mean, I know you guys had Kelly Crowd on. She did our Emerge training program. I also worked as her comms director before I took this job. That's a very non-traditional candidate who did a lot of her campaigning on TikTok doing, you know, this great distillation of heady politics into like 60 second, you know, digestible clips. And at first, people weren't really sure about that, but it really resonated with a whole new group Mm. of voters and young group of voters. And I think taking those chances, that's one of our core values is risk taking and emerge. And that's why, because we can't always do what's what we've been doing that's not working. We have to try new things, too, and we have to try new ways to reach folks. And that's how you break out of that politician narrative. I don't think anybody would have accused Kelly Crowd of being a politician. Yeah. yeah. No, she's just she's one of our favorites. Um yeah. and, right. Uh, Stephanie, uh, 100% of the candidates that I talk to um after their campaign is over um say to me that the thing they hated the most was fundraising. Yes. And <laughs> I, I think that's true really- across the board. It's yeah. so hard. Like, what you, Fundraising what, is hard. Yeah. And I think that yeah. especially for women, we are we are kind of taught to not talk about money, not ask about money. Um, and we feel like almost apologetic asking folks for money. Um, I, mm-hmm. I do just want to say that there's too much money in politics. There is. And I wish we could change that. But until we can change that, we have to know how to fundraise. <laughs> Doug wants uh, so. more money in politics, but <laughs> <laughs> so much. I want, I want people to have to stop asking people to chip in $5 a thousand <laughs> times a month because you can't run a business off a chip in $5. It's killed yep. American politics. But anyway. Rush me $5 today. Yeah. So, yeah. Those emails kills me. I can't stand yeah. it. And I'll yeah. have like 10 of them a, a day. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a lot. Um, no, but fundraising is an integral part. And what I, yeah. we do fundraising training as part of this campaign training. Um, I bring in, you know, again, an expert consultant who is a fundraiser for big campaigns. I'm not going to say her name, but she just came off of a really large campaign. She's the one that I've uh, signed up to do our spring training. Um, and then after we do this whole presentation, we'll, we first start with like how to make a budget for your campaign. Mm-hmm. Like what, what factors go into there into that budget and then how to raise that budget for your campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, And during part of that training is we actually have the women Rolodex themselves as part of their homework for that training. And they're going to make calls while we're on a zoom together. They're going to mute themselves. They're going to make those first calls. So they're going to do those hard asks in a supportive environment for that first time. So it kind of Mm. breaks the ice there um, because the, the hardest part is just doing it. And even for me, like I have to fundraise as part of this job. I have to put it on my calendar and I have to hold myself accountable (laughs) because I don't want to do it. It's hard. And, you know, you'll make 50 calls and like five people will answer and three of them will be mean. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, like that's how it goes. But then you have wonderful conversations with folks too. And my point is you are giving people an opportunity to invest in a shared vision. And that's no small thing. That's a good thing. Um, and when I'm talking to women about raising money, you're not raising money for yourself. You're not saying, yeah, give right. me money so I can do this thing. You're saying, we are investing in this campaign because we all care about this same vision for our community. Um, yeah. And yeah, it is a little bit of a barrier, but that's why this training exists, again, to yeah. kind of demystify those barriers and break them down a little. Yeah. Mm, well, great. Stephanie, this is really great. And um, you know, we're, we, we get you. We do the same kind of work. And in fact, while I have you here, if there's any chance you could chip in $5 to vote common good, it would really mean a lot to us and really go a long way. So I do have a vote, t-shirt in my vote, closet. Vote common good.com and just chip in. 
Okay, you two, you two become monthly sustainers for Emerge, and I'll trip into y'all. We'll yeah, we'll just, yeah, we'll 100%. We'll get a nonprofit in there, and we'll just, we'll just keep the, we'll keep the wash cycle running. Stephanie, I do want to say before, before, I don't know for how much time we have, but I do want to say, I believe in our training. I believe it's the best mm-hmm. thing to equip women to, to run their best possible campaign. And I just want to mention that, you know, we're still, we're still a work in progress here in Arkansas. Uh, we had our mm-hmm. first training here in 2019. I've been in this mm-hmm. position for right at one year. Last week was my one year anniversary here. Thank you. Um, so nationally, we had 650 alums on the ballot in November um, and 528 of them won. That's a 71% win rate wow. for March, which is pretty incredible. And that's includes a 43% win rate for first-time candidates, which, as y'all know, is pretty phenomenal. First-time candidates, depending on what study you look at, win 10 to 15% of the time. So the emerge training is helpful. It works. Um, Here in Arkansas, we had 20 women on the ballot, and we had five wins. So now we have seven emerge women serving uh, in office here in Arkansas, and I'm very proud of that. Generally speaking, I know you probably don't have these numbers in front of you. Um, Mm -hmm. What kinds of positions are these people first running for what where are they landing I mean it really depends space? it really depends on the woman um I mean you know we have people like Lucy McBath who did the emerge training and then ran for congress and won yeah. and is an amazing congresswoman yeah. um you know here I have two city council women and council women right. in my county um who you know they they won their city council races the first time they won and they're serving at the local level and very happy doing that. So really it's a broad spectrum. When I'm looking at my seven here in Arkansas, three of them are state reps and uh, the others are serving at the local level, either county or city. And once yeah, that's, that's, that's tremendous. And I bring that up because a lot of people, if they're new to politics or new to thinking about running, they don't even know all the positions right. that they could run for. The people don't Honestly, really that's know. a slide in my Step Forward workshop. I literally list every possible thing you can run for in Arkansas just because people don't realize there are so many yeah. things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also, one of the things we talk about is how to match your passion to a position, but yes. also keeping in mind your capacity. You know, and like, are you willing to move? Like, don't run for lieutenant governor if you can't move to Little Rock, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Don't run for state rep if you can't spend four months out of the year in Little Rock. Like, there's there's a lot of things to consider. Um, And also to keep talking about fundraising, like how big is your network? Like, think about who's in your network. Can you fundraise for a state rep rice? Because it's a big, you know, it's a big big difference between running for quorum court and running for state rep, how much you need to fundraise. So those capacity questions are things we talk about as well. Because we want these women to be successful and have good experiences. So we want them to run for the position that best suits them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Stephanie, here in Arkansas, if you know anybody who's listening or watching uh, is here in Arkansas, you're the person that they need to connect with. But yeah. emerges in 26 other states, 27 states uh-huh. total. So you know we've got folks all over the country. Um, how can they? You know, if they can't get connected with you because they're not in Arkansas, like how yeah. how do they how do they how do they find you? How do they find you know, their per, their equivalent of you in their state. Sure. So if you're looking for me, contact at emergear.org is my email. That's E-M-E-R-G-E-A-R.org. Website is the same, emergear.org. Um, find us on Facebook. It's Emerge Arkansas. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all the things. Not TikTok because I'm not as cool as Kelly. Um, and then mm-hmm. uh, for national, it's just Emerge America at all the things. Um, and if they go to the Emerge America website, there is a mm-hmm. form. If you're interested in running, you can just like click on that form, go to like trainings and say, I'm thinking about running. And that'll put you in a database. Someone from that, the state, you know, it'll kick you to that state and they will contact you. Great. Um, there are also and training programs if, you can apply for. 
And you can fill that out before you make the decision because yeah. doing this, you know, getting plugged in can help you know what you don't know that will help you make the decision whether or not you should run. Sure. So if, if I would, I would suggest folks who are just considering, I suggest just reaching out and talking mm-hmm. to somebody in your state um, or doing the step forward workshop. I do have one more of those coming up uh, January 3rd. <laughs> I think yeah. is the date. I haven't posted that one yet, but that'll be the last one before our application deadline is January 8th. So I'm doing one last step forward workshop. Mm-hmm. I would suggest starting there because the training is a big commitment. Mm-hmm. And so like, if you're really not sure, I don't, I don't think you should apply for a 70 hour, four month training. Like that's a lot. Yeah. That's a big commitment, but that training, you don't have to know when you're running for office. That's, that's for folks who are running in 2024 and 2026, you know, just, you know, you do want to run at some point and that helps you feel prepared when you're ready to run. Um, so I would suggest the step forward or just a conversation with, uh, the ED of that state. Are, are you, are you running any, uh, student government, uh, training for the kids in sixth and seventh grade that are putting together the student council? Are you, are you starting no. early with any of those kids, those kids to get them trained up? No, I only no, think about do, that because you, you think about all the, <laughs> all the youth sports, you know, how these like sixth yeah. graders, they're talking about, you know, this is how you become a professional you know, soccer player or professional lacrosse player. They're always, yeah. they're always starting with the, with the kids. I love seeing Gen Z get involved. Um, I love what they're doing. I love if they're in student government. No, Emerge does not delve into any <laughs> middle school or high school <laughs> politics. I will say my Both daughter started a petition at her school yesterday for extra recess and she already had okay. 10 signatures. So yeah. Ah, yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's amazing. She's one of those. She's like trying to put something on the ballot. She's like uh, right. working on ballot initiatives. We want more recess time. <laughs> she uh, got a teacher to sign and she's like ecstatic about that. <laughs> oh, nobody wants more recess more than teachers in an elementary school. <laughs> teachers would <laughs> be the first 30 signatures at most elementary schools. Like, hey, could we do a two and a half hour recess? That would be. I'm not saying they're lazy. I'm just saying they know how hard it is to keep kids, you know. Well, and also, you know, this is off subject, of course, but I, my master's is in public health. Kids learn better when they move more. This is just totally. common sense. <laughs> yep. yep. Well, thank you so Good much deal. Uh, yeah. for all this thank great work and mostly for being with us yeah. today. Yeah. Yep. And just anybody who's watching, reach out to your local Emerge or go to the national page. They'll connect you to your local Emerge. For me, again, contact at emergear.org. Applications mm-hmm. are open until January 8th. If you want to run, I want to give you the tools. So reach out. I'm happy to chat. The best. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, yeah. y'all. So now we stand and we brag about you for a little bit. So yeah. thanks, Stephanie, yeah. for being, <laughs> being on with us. Doug, I like. Well, she's great, huh? Stephanie's a, I mean, she's a friend and it's fun to have a little opportunity to, you know, expose my friends to, uh, to the country because they're, uh, they're yeah. just doing, people just doing great work. And people you know, doing great work. Just, yeah. Are you going to get a Christmas stuff. card from her, do you think? She's got a Christmas Probably card list? Probably not. Probably not, but um, because <laughs> that's just how it goes around the Ryersey house. Like it's just nothing right. but 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 year end you know mattress sales coming into that into that mailbox. That's right. Uh, well, uh, a full a full day. Special thanks, yep. of course, to Stephanie and uh, and for all for being around and uh, for people in the in the comments. Hey, Carol, good to see you in here. Vera, thanks, Kimberly, thanks for your comments. Got anything else, Rob? No, I'm good. Got a big day. I'll be. Uh, Flying to New York City a little bit later today. Today? You're flying somewhere today? I am. Good for you. Okay. Well, Dan, anything else? I think Dan Dan was Dan Dan had a plumber. No, I've got a plumber upstairs. Just it sounds like he's dropping bowling balls every five seconds. I don't know what's happening up there, but it's very loud. And the dog is not happy about it. (laughs) 
he's, <laughs> he's ripping your house apart. Well, we heard, we didn't even hear it. So whatever you did, that's well done. That's the mute button. Yeah. All right. Well, we're back tomorrow with Ani Zonneveld. Ani runs a group called Muslims for Progressive Values, and Ani's going to talk to us about what's going on on lots of things, but including this little conversation we had a couple weeks ago about how the Christians in um, Malaysia were fighting against Christian nationalism as a Christian yeah. party. So really a unique uh, unique perspective. So join us again tomorrow, and then, uh, and then we're back on Thursday. People from the Zao community, so all kinds of stuff going on this week. So stick with us, and we'll, uh, we'll see you tomorrow.